Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I am here with my buddy Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about Girl Interrupted. Dylan, knock, knock. Who's there? The Interrupting Cow. The Interrupting Cow. So lame. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. Before we interrupt each other, as is our want on this show, should we talk about some other movies? Let's do it. What do you got? I got some, I got some here. I got some rewatches and three new ones. Nice. So uh, three rewatches, three new ones. Let's start uh, with the new stuff. The new stuff. Okay. House of Gucci. Okay. Terrible. Yeah. Go like, figure. God awful. God awful. Boring. Just a. a uh, Adam Driver seems so uncomfortable doing his accent. Lady Gaga's fine. She's not great. Uh, Jared Leto is too comfortable in his role. <laughs> like, he is, like, not good. He's doing, like, Mario in person. We're going to talk more about Jared Leto, so maybe we'll circle back around to that. But yeah, uh, actually, in, uh, to elucidate a theme that I, I do want to <laughs> return to with Girl Interrupted also, House of Gucci seems like a movie designed to win Oscars. And those <laughs> movies are never very good. And anyways, yeah. did you hear the story about Lady Gaga, like living in character for her whole fucking life and being a method actor? And it just is like, one, I don't believe it. Two, because I don't believe it, it really feels like a story that was manufactured to gin up Oscar support. And I yeah. am uncomfortable with all of that. Definitely don't see it. Um, and then I saw Come On, Come On. Joaquin oh, Phoenix. yeah. Don't want to say anything. Just watch it. It's so good. I think it's one of those movies where it should be shown to like eighth graders. Wow. Like eighth grade should be shown to eighth graders. Come On, Come On should also <laughs> be shown to that. And maybe freshmen. Like it's just got a lot on its mind. It's right. so good. Yeah, high high praise, man. Can't wait to see it. It's Mike Mills too, so you know. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of Twentieth Century Women, but I like all his other movies. Yeah, he's a solid filmmaker. I mean, you're not gonna like walk through the door and see garbage if Mike Mills yep. is on the screen. So that, that's worth checking out for sure. Yep. And then went and saw Licorice Pizza. Oh, cool! How was it? Uh, I definitely loved it. It's not one of my favorites of his, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and i can't wait to see it again this week <laughs> i hear it's like maybe one of the funnier ones of his more like directly comedy yeah i thought it was funny there's a lot of funny parts in it uh it's very um sweet it's youthful presence is what's sweet about it like hmm. uh first love and just it's kind of like days to confuse in a way where you're just hanging out with these people like there's no real plot but they follow a summer versus like Days of Confuse is just a day. Sure. But they just like get thrown into all these crazy situations, just like one after the other. And I found it very amusing. Right on. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Yep. Um, and then I rewatched A Civil Action. <laughs> That's really funny because uh, it almost made my list for some trivia that we'll get into later. Okay, that is funny. Um, I like this movie a lot. Uh, I'm a huge John Travolta fan, especially 90s Travolta. Uh, 
but uh it's a good like courtroom drama it's one of those okay. true legal cases about trying to get clean water to a certain area and i ah. fucking dig it what was the mark ruffalo one i just the yeah, name dark water dark water dark water is amazing that's actually a much better movie than a civil action yeah i there are two things i want to return to is one we've been talking about how uh poor our infrastructure is for literally 20 years and uh making movies about it just as long i'm <laughs> speaking of making movies just as long i don't i love travolta but i don't feel like i he's like a really great example of movie star energy and not a great actor. I don't feel like I've ever really seen him, at least not since the 70s, you know, actually give a performance that wasn't just Travolta. So when you say he's like, he's I given mean, a- I mean, Pulp Fiction, he's really good. Okay, like, fair shout, you're right. Uh, Phenomenon, he's given a great performance. It's, it's definitely a cheesy movie, but- Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm gonna come with you on that one. Don't like that one? I like that movie. I love that movie. I don't think there's much good to say about it, you know? Uh, I just, th- I think it's just cheesy. I think it's a good movie. Fair enough. Yeah. It I, feels like a, a, a TV movie in a way, but uh, actually it's, it's really shot way better than a TV movie, obviously, but. Yeah, uh, but the plotting and the machinations of yeah, it are very yeah, exactly. lifetime hallmark. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I go with it because I like John Travolta and uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker always in for a walk in the forest man uh-huh. um and the last two were smoking in the bandit one and two <laughs> you know what i learned <laughs> just today is that burt reynolds starred in the direct to video not another not another movie As i've seen that cover he, he is it like his last movie it's got to be up there, man. You know, <laughs> I feel like it really feels like a tax debt. Not another, not not another. another. Yep, we all know what we're saying here. There's another. Who, the other lead on the poster is insane too. It's like uh, Orson Welles or some shit. You know, I don't know who it is, but it was surprised by the star power. I- Chevy Chase, Michael Madsen, Vinny Jones. <laughs> Listen to that cast, man. <laughs> that movie went direct to video in 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is right. 11? Yeah, dude. It was like the tail end of the Not Another series, oh, which wow, is... Wow, wow. Okay, well, no. Yeah, yeah. Burt Reynolds definitely had a great movie before his death then, and it's called The Last Movie Star. That's Fair great. enough. Um. I, I returning to Smokey and the Bandit. That's another one where I'm like, I enjoy this terrible movie. Mm-hmm. The first one I give more props to, be, just because of the 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 ridiculous plotting of it, like getting a case of Coors across, across state line. Like that was real. Like that was legit. People had to smuggle that shit back in the day. They're just Buddy, doing it to a heightened extent. Also, uh, it's still real. I just want to call out prohibition and the fact that there's a lot of folks that make a great deal of money driving from Colorado and or California and or any other number of states to a different state to give people what they want. Yes. Uh, but the second one, <laughs> they have to transport an elephant. <laughs> That's it's, better. It's funny. And you get Dom DeLuise in there as a... <laughs> 
as a doctor that has to take care of it. But well, I assume this is a prequel to Operation Dumble Drop, starring Ray Liotta and Danny Glover and Dennis Leary. <laughs> Dennis Leary. Oh, Operation Dumbo Drop. But uh, okay, no, Smokey and the Bandit. First one, yeah, definitely worth watching. Second one, give or take. Burt Reynolds is still cool, and Sally Fields is adorable. And their like their chemistry is the word I'm looking for. God damn, do they crackle? And yeah. I I give Sally Fields a lot of credit. Did you like if you watch the sort of outtakes and extras oh, and yeah. bonus material from that, where she's just like, "Hey, asshole, be an actor. I'm trying to get through this scene," and that energy really works because you got to drag that character by the ear anyway and uh, you know it's one of those things where they really i don't know if they casted well or just stumbled into the exact recipe you know yeah i mean yeah i don't know of the relationship beforehand i think she just auditioned and magic was made in that first one fair enough magic was made indeed but that's all i got how about you I got a few I can talk about. Let's see, where should we? Okay, speaking of the 70s, uh, I caught up with, for the very first time for me, The Long Goodbye. Oh, yeah, Altman. Turns out that movie that everybody says is great, pretty fucking good. Pretty fucking good. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I love his apartment, the tower, right up here off of Highland. With the like walkway and the uh-huh. private elevator and yeah, the yeah. apartment full of scantily it's clad just, models it, over, on the, it's just a blast. It's so LA, it, it, and even in that regard, it made me appreciate the Raymond Chandler stuff so much more. And like the Big Lebowski, and the it was the Big Sleep one of his also. Um, not one of Altman's, no, 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 uh, Raymond Chandler. Oh, I'm sorry, uh. I don't know if Big Sleep was one of his. Fair enough. Um, But just these like shaggy LA stories. And it kind of reminds me of, was it, uh, oh, uh, Idle Hands has a similar shaggy energy where it's like, I don't know where this is going and I don't know if I want it to get there, but I just kind of like existing in this world, you know? uh, Inherent vice a little bit too. Like definitely. Well, and following this guy along not really knowing what's going on there's a bunch of plots being involved and so i want to talk about sterling hayden for a minute uh, what, a him, man. Dude, what a man dude that dude know? is like, man <laughs> i okay so i was watching this movie and I, I just kept watching his performance and be like well okay here's the greatest actor of our generation why isn't he in every movie who is He's that man? So who is, okay so i had this experience of like who is it who is it who is it? oh shit that's the guy from strange love and then i went down the hole because he also rose not rose to prominence he was like a a, not quite a silent movie actor but that dude is classic hollywood like back in the day hollywood yep he's in one of uh kubrick's first ones called the killing he's in the killing from 1953 but he's in movies in the 30s like this dude was yeah 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 he was i mean look at his fucking face he's He's just, yeah, dude, look at that man. So he's a very gorgeous dude that was definitely going to be famous for a long time. And he started being famous when he was really young and then went to war and then came back and made more movies and then bugged the fuck out of Hollywood because it was BS. Although it, it might've, there's a, uh, some sketchy stuff around his divorce that I don't necessarily want to unpack and him kidnapping his children but that but damn oh yeah he took his kids and like sailed uh, off in a boat to tahiti 
which he had custody, but was also violating the custody agreement by taking them out of the country. Um, questionable yeah. behavior for sure. Yes. But the fact that he was just like, you know what, Hollywood is bullshit. I'm going to buy a boat and take my family to the South Pacific. Pretty admirable. Mm -hmm. He's like a, he's got the chiseled features like Paul Newman, but didn't have like the leading man career of Paul Newman. No, because he's a character actor. He's he is like a an insane maniac. He's a Brad Pitt is what he is. He's like a better when he's a maniac man. And so I want to get into another point because he actually has the same face as two guys from a couple of movies that I saw recently. He looks like Joel Edgerton. A little bit. Or Sam Worthington. I'd go a little more Joel. Definitely more Joel because of the eyes and the cheeks. Uh-huh. But Sam Worthington is not far from Joel Edgerton. And to round this out, Taron Egerton is not far from any of these people either. They all are like the same person in different states of development, you know? <laughs> I see Taron Eg Egerton and and Sam Worthington a little more than Joel Edgerton. Oh, that's interesting. I see Joel Edgerton and Taron Egerton more than I see Sam Worthington. But I think as a <laughs> okay, now that I'm like trying to think about it, I'm like blending all their faces together. Yeah, because they all have the same face. <laughs> but I uh, shake it out, shake it out. Okay, so I watched Man on a Ledge. Oh, awful. I like it. <laughs> not, I, it I wasn't good dumb for me. No. It was trying to take itself too seriously. Yes. And it and it's oh man, it was not fun. I think the biggest problem is that um uh the kid from Billy Elliot, who's an Jamie actual Bell. Jamie Bell is a good fucking actor. <laughs> and his partner, they're in a different movie from everybody else. Yep. And their tone is way off. And like, it's, you know, they are physically separated from all the rest of the action. But I think it suffers because of that. I think if they had been able to draw those tones together, it would have been more successful. But then you still have to deal with the die job on Titus Welliver. And it's distracting, man. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I won't defend it. All I'll say is that <laughs> I liked it. Okay. It's good review. Well, it's sort of like a, like you were saying about a courtroom drama. I just like the machinations of a heist movie. I like watching a heist take place and, okay, we're going to switch the thing. We're going to catch the asshole. We're going to, you know, I, I dig on that stuff. So if you get even close, if the movie is not terrible, I'm going to come along on the ride with you. And that movie is not terrible. It's definitely not very good. Okay. <laughs> You're hitting That's fine. Okay. All right. So, and in the same vein, speaking of Sam Worthington, I also watched Wrath of the Titans. Oof. I liked it. Just put on the original one. I didn't like the original as much. Let me tell you why. It's way campier and better. Maybe that's it, is because they don't land the camp in the original, right? It feels flat and just like, is this supposed yeah, to be a yeah, blockbuster? Yeah, yeah. It's totally or... is flat as fuck, you're right. So this one also feels flat. It doesn't pick it up very much. But I actually the... never saw this one. I saw scenes of it while working at the theater, but I never watched the whole thing. So that's my whole defense of it, is that the imagery is actually much better and the sort of vista 
that we exist within during Wrath of the Titans, I'm like, oh, this is fucking cool looking. So again, it's worse than Man on a Ledge, but you know, kind of liked it. Huh. Okay. Who else is in that Wrath of the Titans? Rosamund Pike is given a performance. Fucking Liam Neeson is giving a yeah, performance. I I remember Neeson. Who else, man? The cast is stacked. Oh, and Ray Fine. No- That's who I was trying to think of. It's and nobody has taken a day off, man. They're actually all pretty committed to the material. I, I don't think it's as, you know, the plotting is dumb. It's archetypical. But like I said, visually it's impressive. And the performances are, I think they're there. It looks like it made tons of money. I believe that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's got some scope. It's worth like yeah, sitting in the theater and just looking at, you know? Yeah, its budget was 150 and it made 302 worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a worldwide <laughs> return right there. Still. Okay, I'm going to talk about a couple other dumb movies and then you know, I only have dumb movies here, I'm sorry. Um I've been working my way through the Starship Troopers sequels, the Troopers Starship if you will. Have not watched any of them but the first. Um the second one is pure garbage just I'm going to look it up, actually. Starship. Troopers. They've made four of them now. Wow. Yeah. When, was, when was the fourth one made? Oh, probably like mid-2010s, like 2012-ish, maybe. Yeah, I remember seeing Starship Troopers 2 like at Blockbuster, but I was like, this is straight to DVD. There's no need to see this movie. Yeah, it's a sci-fi original. It's garbage. Um, yeah, yeah. The third one is a surprising step up. I'm not going to be like that, you know, horror sci-fi guy who's like, no, 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 you have to watch number six, dude. That's where it all comes together. But like the third one understands what the first one is. And it's very interested in like the machinations of fascism. There's a character called Jingo, uh, like deep fakes are a big part of it in terms of manufacturing consensus and religious extremism as sort of like a central peg of what props up fascist regimes is a big part of the plotting. It also is, it, I, I could go on and on. I think the writers of this movie really understood, of Starship Troopers 3, really understood what was going on in Starship Troopers. And similarly, this movie is not good. There are some terrible performances there's some junky sets but they also shot on location in south africa in one of the desert lies and it looks amazing it's just an incredible location and some of the art they put in that location is very beautiful so i i don't know man my thing is like if you took this exact same script and gave it a budget and made it the direct sequel would have been better i think we're into something there man i i you know i haven't watched the fourth one yet so i don't have anything to say about it but the third I'm one is photos of the fourth one and it looks like a cartoon oh that tracks i think that that feels accurate yeah they did launch a cartoon at one point it looks animated it looks weird cool i or maybe that's not it no that wasn't it yeah they that did it a series Okay, yeah, no, it's a live action movie. Well, we'll see. I'll let you know, I man. No, no, maybe not. Maybe it is animated. I'm just, yeah, it's animated. That's weird. All right. Well, I'll find out. Um, well, I'll find out. Maybe oh, it will be better because they can 
really do whatever the fuck they want, but maybe that animation is terrible. I'll find out. All right, let me know. What can I say? Uh, have you seen Wolf Cop? I have not, but I've seen scenes of it like uh, and stills. Just haven't watched it. You could do a lot worse for schlocky horror. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like it's it. a lot of fun, man. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. It works the whole way through. The makeup effects are generally pretty good. <laughs> you know, they definitely suffer from budget at points, but it's very impressive what they pulled off and their uh, decision directorially to like grime it down and do the effects as sort of like 16 mil smash cuts instead of really investing in CGI, I, I think really works and serves the material. It was a great decision. Um, the big takeaway is that Jonathan Cherry should be a movie star and I'm disappointed that he's not. Jonathan Cherry. Yeah, he's got like, a lot of TV, a couple of oh, yeah, 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 Final Destination too. Yeah, and Goon, and, and Goon. Yep, and the Goon sequel, which I have not seen. I actually haven't seen that one either, but I really liked Goon a lot. And Same. Jonathan Cherry is giving a performance in this movie, man. Like in every scene, in every moment, it's crazy that he is easily the best actor. Like. He's so clearly a very talented actor and the rest of the cast are actors. You know what I mean? Or it's just like, oh, you, buddy, you're in a different league than these folk. You need to, what, why haven't you? So that was kind of my takeaway. It was like, damn, Jonathan Cherry, let's get this dude a break because he fucking rules. Okay. And then the only other one I want to talk about is LA Story. Very funny. Love LA Story. Maybe I'll, I will pitch it for a full episode rather than say too much about it because it's, it turns out, I haven't seen it in a few years. It's a movie that I watched a lot when I was a kid and then watching it now as an adult, I was like, oh, this is why I am the way I am. <laughs> okay. So, I like that. Yeah, no, I'm down to do a whole episode on that. So next week. Well, we got to make a whole list. Now. <laughs> All right. New list. Uh, um that's all i got you want to interrupt each other let's do it let's do it where shall we start with this thing um what is your experience with girl interrupted dylan uh my experience is when i was in like fourth grade i like fourth and fifth grade um i i would always get like picked up by my grandma after school and go hang out with her and i would go to the video store next to her place rent some movies i was in that video store so fucking much the woman that owned it her name was mary she was like hey do you want like a job like putting away movies and like checking out customers and you can take anything you want for free and i was like yes so like i started doing that and like video stores back in the day would get early vhs copies of movies so that the they could watch it and decide how many they want to order of that movie Oh, interesting. And, yeah, so uh, that's how I saw tons of movies early before they were even out because of those little demo VHS tapes. Cool. And Girl Interrupted was one of those. Right. And uh, I watched it out at my grandma's and I fucking loved it. I remember watching it a bunch as a kid. Really, uh, like, I don't know. It was just like this dark little sickly world that I liked living in. I love sure. these. I love all these girls. All these girls are... Man, they mean so much to me. I think they're all so 
obviously there's the ones that don't really get a lot to do but oh man uh elizabeth moss is polly holy fuck <laughs> holy fuck clea duval uh is amazing uh Brittany murphy crushes it this might be one of the greatest things she's ever done uh uh angelina jolie is amazing obviously well worth her i don't think she won an oscar for this but like a golden globe or something probably uh man and whoopi whoopi is so good in this movie whoopi is fucking amazing here and i i have a note kind of towards the bottom of my pad here where it's like she's so good at playing quiet strength and you know it's a lot of her career but it's most of this movie where she just has to like put up with abuse from literal maniacs and help them and she kills it in every scene man the, oh, the arc is really great too where she gets these moments to yeah i, I mean whoopi for me whoopi is the highlight of this movie i i'll be right there with you i think she's fucking solid every time she steps into frame you're just like oh here we go oh actually let me amend that uh kurtwood smith should be in every single movie and he should be called Dr. Crumble in every oh. single movie also. It is a hell of a name, you know? I mean, there's nothing subtle about this script. I assume the book underlying it is slightly more subtle, but Dr. Crumble is really punching you in the face with a, a story dynamic, isn't it? Uh, yes. And I, uh, the book is told out of order too so i think it jumps around a lot like the movie kind of does that but not. okay i want to jump in here because i think that's a failure of the movie we spend a lot of time up front describing how she slips in time and they she has a a, a monologue of two uh, is it tambor at that point or one of the other th- maybe it's uh, actually dr crumble it's very early where she's like it's crumble, yeah yeah you don't know what it's like to be unstuck in time and um you know kind of on and on in that and then the movie demonstrates only her remembering her past and that is not yes, becoming unstuck in time that's memory that's trauma and so I'll jump off a little bit. I think this movie, I, I'm very curious to read the book at this point. I think this movie has a specific problem, which is males at the helm of it. The fact that this is a James Mangold movie, Mangold movie, I think it really suffers because of that. And these, as you pointed out, the, the women are all so special and interesting and the movie is not interested in them. It, it's not no it's in it's only on Susanna which and it's barely on Susanna it doesn't understand how to tell her troubles either because her problem is that she is a female in 1960 she doesn't have a disease she doesn't have crazy yeah. and that's why I think she doesn't have a problem therefore she is just this normal woman thrown into this chaotic world with other women that do have problems yeah she's depressed but she is not multiple uh well they multiple personality disorder that's what i they don't think we with. oh uh borderline personality disorder borderline personality. which I, I have personal experience with somebody in my life who had borderline personality disorder and she definitely does not winona Ryder. i mean uh-huh. yeah, yeah although i do love like the opening line uh it's like oh. the second line of the movie you know what it was 
yeah i'm a girl interrupted straight oh, no. to the fucking camera no. not that one i'm sorry not that, that is just goddamn junk and that's where we start this movie from what are you talking about the is it the part where it's says, she I'm sorry, her own future yeah okay i have that here also <laughs> she straight up says or you can uh pay, you have the money to pay for something and you steal it anyway yeah i i thought i had it written down but maybe i didn't oh yeah if we've ever stolen something well we have the cash was yep. her question yeah yep. yeah well and that's i uh, again really evocative of what's at the core of this movie where it's like no no there's not a problem here it is the structures around her. Can you imagine being as famous as Winona Ryder was in the 90s and trying to live a normal life? Impossible. Not, you know. So yeah, that's going to make people crazy and they're going to do crazy things because of it. That, I think that's sadly evocative of what is at the core of this movie. But again, this movie rarely communicates that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I think I let I'll, I'll hedge that a little bit. The plotting of this movie is very much centered on that. The but I think that's owing more to the book, right? I would yes. love to see. Okay, I'll I'll draw it again. This shouldn't be a movie. It should be an eight part series. I need to know more about these women and the lives that they are living in here and how those arcs interact with each other to create a full person. That yeah, is um, actually, I would, I would love to see, although <clears throat> no one knows actually what happened to the rest of those girls. Susanna doesn't even know because when she left the institution, she never saw those women again. So she just wrote about what she remembered. Well, she said some, I, well, I, maybe that's a movie thing. She said some I saw again, some I didn't. Oh, I, I don't even remember that line. But that's it's kind of my point here is that it, that's so pastiche and not, Susanna knows exactly who she talked to and why that was meaningful to her again later in her life and who she never wanted to interact with again because of the damage that they caused her. We're viewing this as a retrospective, right? Uh-huh. This is a story being told to us about the author's past. And then these critical details are just nowhere there and I have to assume that's a filmmaking choice and I'll, I'll point to the scene that made me craziest in this movie is after Brittany Murphy hangs herself and Jeffrey Tambor shows back up again by the way I was not prepared for heavy set Jeffrey Tambor and Jeffrey Tambor is a heavy set fella to begin with yep. I'm glad he uh, is taking care of himself but uh, when he shows up at the end of the, not the end of the movie, I guess that's about, you know, midway through the second act or kind of going into the third then, he gets a crying scene and like a slow push zoom from a hero angle as if he's learned a lesson, which he yeah. fucking has not. No. And the movie doesn't deserve that. It has, the movie itself has not earned this moment. And yet we're giving the man attention as though there's something important happening here no he's a fucking asshole he's yeah, part of the I, reason I, that she I, died why I, are we lionizing I, this person i don't get it as a hero shot though i get it as this guy's a terrible person i don't see that shot as a hero shot then why him. is it shot from underneath 
doesn't mean it's a hero shot. He's bigger in the frame, man. We're talking about basic pressure psychology. I hate to go film school, but like, I mean, if you shoot somebody from underneath, that doesn't mean you you shoot Jules and fucking uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta and pull fiction from that angle, and like, they're not heroes. Okay, but they are the protagonists of one of the main stories of that movie. And to a large degree, they are the hero because it's Jules that returns the soul to uh, fucking Vin Rains, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, with the band-aid in his neck and the case. That whole thing is like, hey, we got to get the MacGuffin back to the boss. And those Well, you don't know if it ever gets back to the boss, though. We see him open it. Light reflects on his face. We see oh, you're right. You're right. In the bar. You're right. In the bar. You're right. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, you're right. So that happens. They are the heroes of the movie. That's why they're shot low and up to give them presence in the frame. I just, so I don't, I don't like that bullshit that you call it a hero shot though, because fuck that. You can make that not a hero shot. I've, that's, I've seen that in plenty of movies where it's not a hero shot. Yes. And I would argue, uh, so if we could, talk about any of those movies film school rules film school rules is bullshit rules are not always though not always (laughs) rules are made to be broken but if you pay attention to the masters you will get further so the fact and i i do believe that pressure psychology is i don't want to say inherent in framed art but it exists outside of cinema. It is important in theater. It's important in painting. It's important in storybooks, you know? If you mm-hmm. put something giant in the frame, we're going to think that it's important. It's just a, a brain thing. A big thing is important. If it's way gianter than us, we need to be concerned about it because it might squish us. Well, I do think you need to be concerned about him because he is a fucking terrible person who's going to go on continuing to do this for other women. Agreed. And the other movies that you're hypothetically describing where we're inverting that shot, right, or using that moment to communicate something have maybe earned that moment where we're doing a specific anti-hero thing, right? Mm -hmm. There's no real anti-hero in this movie there's no direct angelina mm, yeah i guess she, she's your well because uh, she starts the movie as a inspiration you want to go yeah. with her you want to be free you know and the arc is learning that no she actually is right. da- a dangerous person who does not care about other people and that's yeah, bad I guess mm-hmm. yeah so I, I think she does fit a pretty stereotype typical view of an anti-hero or at least a like compelling antagonist you know Mm -hmm. so if you wanted to play with some of that and they do to mangold's credit the shot when they're uh towards the very end of the movie after it might be right before winona slams her hand in the door and Uh angelina's coming down the hallway i really think they put angelina on boxes i mean there's a height difference to begin with angelina is a very tall woman winona is a very short woman but they definitely did something to her. She is like brushing her hair on the ceiling and like avoiding the pipes. She's way the fuck up there in the frame, man. That's what we're talking about here. And that moment- Winona Ryder also though might be like five foot. This is what I'm saying. Like I I think- I think is like 5'11 maybe. There's a natural height difference and Uh they put Jolie on boxes to get that shot. She is on boxes for sure. 
she had I, I couldn't say for sure I wasn't there when they shoot it but when you watch the scene she has to move her head around the pipes on the ceiling uh-huh. and like okay 511 you got to be like almost seven foot tall to like really have to get around doorways and pipes and shit like that you know uh-huh. so I- I'm 5'10 I don't have to duck around steam pipes when I walk through a hallway she did in this shot I because okay well yeah you're you're a big dude you got you got I, the height I, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. fair enough <laughs> but I'm definitely taller than Angelina Jolie I think so I think this all serves my point there's a, a, a time and place to use pressure psychology and it can communicate a lot about your story. And when it gets to Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, it sort of crystallizes all the reasons that this movie is not working for me. I mean, he's just not that big of a character either though. Then why do we have to spend, uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm done. I mean, he's in the movie, maybe a total of, maybe a total of 10 minutes. Right. And he gets a fucking hero shot. He has literally two scenes in this movie. And one of them is a hero shot, dude. Fuck that forever in its face. I just don't think it's, to me, it's not a hero shot. I think it's a a shot of a man that's uh, about to do more bad to more people and fucking might even kill himself. Well, that would be good. Yeah, the world would be a better place without him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, so in, I think the direction is largely solid here. So that whole scene where Brittany Murphy ends up killing herself, like from the time Angelina walks through the door, you're just like, oh my God, she's not going to make it through this. Uh-huh. You know, head in your hand, so sad for, for this poor woman. I have a question and I don't know if this, is just my question or if it kind of points at the the problem that I have with this thing. Do you feel a need to assign blame for Brittany Murphy's death, for Daisy's death in this story? No, there's no one to blame. Like, yes, Lisa was being super pushy and aggressive towards her, but like, Brittany Murphy could have easily done something about that, but she is a very depressed, sad woman. Yeah, I don't know if, and Brittany Murphy could, I don't know if the character of Daisy is equipped to stand up to Lisa. I just don't think she has that, you know? Call the cops, you could call your dad. That's an interesting answer. Yeah, call your dad would be a solution to that and is something that she's pretty keen Mm -hmm. on. But I, I, yeah. The reason I ask is because that's the most sort of crystal scene in the movie where it it does feel like it's coming into focus where it's like oh okay what are the stakes here am i really this person do i have to concern myself with these dangers i and you know maybe it's leading to there i just god i would have loved to have seen so much from everybody else in this movie i don't know how to land this point because it's I just feel like it didn't quite connect with me. And I really wish it would have because there's such important things here, you know, and really incredible performances. And yeah, I, yeah, I I wish I had a better way to say any of this. No, I understand what you're saying because I definitely love the group of girls and would love to see more of them. Okay. It does balance it quite nicely. I think there's a lot going on there and you get a lot with all the girls too. They are together a lot. They are together a lot. 
Yeah, and I do like that, but then it so the I feel like the score is frequently at odds with the energy of the movie. Well, the soundtrack is really excellent, but Honestly, the, I couldn't even tell you what the score it is. basically only shows up when that group of girls are together doing hijinks, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when Lisa comes back after her electroshock therapy, it's kind of like tinging and it's very it's plucky. Uh-huh. I, man, the actual pop songs and folk songs in here work really well, but the score is borderline terrible. I think downtown works really well in this movie. Downtown works incredible. And I actually want to, I'll I'll finish my point about the score and how that relates to the directing. I think the direction is a failure here. I want to go back to not downtown, but the end of the world. Yeah. It's the end of the world. Obviously a very famous song for what it communicates at this point in our pop culture cycle. I don't know if I had heard it in a movie before then. The first time I heard it was... I think this was the first time for me hearing it in a movie. I so think did, hearing it at all. This, did this popularize that? This is like the trope starter, right? It created the meme of, hey, very we're possible. doing tragic apocalypse stuff. Let's play this song. It very well could be. I mean, honestly, I feel like this movie was the first time for me actually hearing that song, so... Deserves a little credit. The only thing I wanted to say about the way that it's assembled and you know it's speaking to the direction is that the midpoint of this movie is a montage of again the girls and the score, but it's built around Martin Luther King's assassination. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because it happened while they were in there. Cool. What does that mean to the story? It's in the book. Fuck that bullshit. That's terrible writing. I, you know, sorry. I guess it's just showing time passing for these girls. They're stuck inside and this is what's happening on the outside. That's, That's exactly it. what it is. So I think we've got really incredible material that was serviced by a very just sort of like hit the beats. This is how you make a, a prestige picture. So here's my thing about James Mangold. James Mangold is the person you call when you want to gloss over the point that you're trying to make. Well, I'm sure he didn't like write the script. I think he has a screenwriting credit, sir. Yeah, yeah, but I think he took like a little bit from the script. I don't think he, because like the the two women that wrote it, one of them has nothing but like. law and order episodes for her most part but then the other one has like gorillas in the mist what's mask rocky dennis share oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. My fucking sam elliott is in that movie Bruh. yeah yeah she wrote that um she wrote amelia she hasn't done too much actually though honestly i would have liked to have seen her movie more than james mangold's because all of those have um uh well, i mean specifically the mask uh, sorry mask mask yes (laughs) one of the things that mask does really really well and you can see why she's involved in this movie is understands the interpersonal relationships that are affected by uh, what's the word i'm looking for um a divergence right if you're not neurotypical if you have uh, some sort of physical impairment that affects the people around you and this movie 
says that directly instead of exploring it as an issue. What is it? Whoopi? That's no, it's, is it Tambor that says you're hurting the, maybe it's crumb. One of these assholes says you're hurting the people around you. And that's the problem. And that's kind of how the movie treats this issue. And that's not the fucking issue here. Hmm. The arc of Winona is she has to get better. That's not the story here, man. Well, hey, cat, stop. <laughs> oh, dude, he's just fucking with everything. No, 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 don't rub on me. How uh, about that uh, cat with the yellow eyes in this flick, though? That's a pretty good cat. It's a pretty good cat. Pretty, uh, pretty Murphy's cat. Or it's not the one that she ends up taking, though, right? Susan. No, it ends up with Polly. It ends up with. Um, it ends up with Polly at the end. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't think this movie is about her getting better. No, it's not. And that's the problem. Like, but she sorry. doesn't need to get Let, better. She's no, no. she forced into this. I'm, I'm trying to make a subtle point. And that's what the story is about. That's the story. Okay. And that's what's interesting. That's what's good here. But that's not the movie that got made. The movie is a little bit more about her escaping and getting free and the power of freedom. Angelina is always talking about how she's more free than everybody else. And is that true or is that not true, right? That's the sort of repeated note through this thing. And that's where we end up on. That's the arc. It's literally the bookend with what's the, the cabbie has such a fantastic name, Monty something. And the cabbie says it to her directly on the way in and then again on the way out. They state it's a really crystalline example of making the subtext text. And that sucks. That's bad. So if we had a more. You know, I don't mind that that much. The thing I do mind in this is her opening narration. That's I don't really fucking off, dude. Yeah, it's... I don't think you need the opening narration at all, but I like the moment with the cabbie. I like the moment with the cabbie. Let's just write a more subtle script. You, you know, it just is like I said, the moment with the cabbie is actually, to me, is at the same tone as the fourth wall break because it is just characters announcing their purpose. I don't think she movie. actually breaks the fourth wall. Buddy, she absolutely does. She says girl interrupted. She and spikes the lens when she delivers girl interrupted. 100%. That dialogue is in her narration um yeah it's in her narration it doesn't come from her mouth directly okay she still spikes the lens at the moment that like whether she's speaking that in diegetic sound that's being recorded in the location or it's a fucking adr that comes in afterwards again the stupid fucking filmmaker who had the cut on this thing decided to put that vocal track over that shot and it's I feel, I feel like that opening narration is a studio thing i truly feel like the studio made him do that maybe okay fair enough maybe but for some it just feels so out of place compared to it, the rest of the movie i that's where i disagree dude i don't think it feels the only reason it feels out of place is because she's like directly addressing the lens if you had given that same narration but we're like watching her get in the cab 
exit Dr. Crumb's office, arrive at the mental hospital. And when she like walks through the doors, you hear a girl interrupted, but she's like a teeny tiny little figure in a vacant hallway, again, going back to pressure psychology, then we have an arc and something that we can design visually and a story that can communicate through human emotions instead of just- I love that shot of her being teeny tiny on the couch, just sitting there and then it doing the title. Like she's this tiny person in this massive fucking world that is way too encompassing on her. But that, I- Mm, I disagree about the language of that shot specifically, that sequence. She's actually pretty large in frame. And again, most of the, when we get to that dialogue, she's at least in shoulders. And I think it goes to like almost in, into close up. She's at least in medium close. By the end of it, yeah. 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 What are we doing here, man? I don't, I don't think it's that bad. I've seen way worse. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that is that bad no i mean there's definitely worse i mean if we want to point to worse movies i could talk a lot more about starship troopers 2 oof which i feel like i gotta watch <laughs> no no just skip to starship troopers 3 it really two is entirely pointless uh let's go over mangold real quick uh okay wait okay. let's let's save mangold because i i want to play a game with you okay let's do it Okay, so we'll get back around to that. Um, yeah, I also, uh, there's several different women in the intro of this movie. It's not just Winona. We're watching two or three different women having emotional breakdowns. Wait, what? At the very beginning of this movie, there's also a blonde woman that's crying. I think that's Winona's mother. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the office, and she's like, uh, Winona's trying to be like, oh, this is uh, what I have to deal with. Like, is my problem hereditary? Like, could no, I have no, 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 no. I mean, in the That's intro cool. voiceover, dude, I'm talking about the straight-up hook of this movie, the first 90 seconds. We see Winona going back and forth, and then there's a blonde woman depicted crying as well. And I was like, is that Drew Barrymore? Are we about to get another oh, boys on the side here? It's Who Angelina Jolie. It's Angelina Jolie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. To that first opening shot. That's right. They're sitting there and she's holding Angelina. Yeah. Yeah, and Angelina's crying on her lap, right? Uh-huh. That's as close as we come to, like, going forward in time during this movie, which has been promised to us. Um, and whatever. I think it's a borderline not a mess man i just what i i really want to say i just wish more women had been in charge of this movie i think it could have been great and as it stands it's like okay you know kind of approaching something that could be interesting and mm. th that's all i'll say about it moving on jared leto is in this fucking movie wait i'm not done he's actually not bad in this movie He's okay. so normal. <laughs> that was my question because at this point, Jared Leto has become such a distraction that I was like, the whole time I was like, oh no, he's good here, right? Yeah, he's, he's good. good <laughs> I could, he's good here. <laughs> like, I think that was the case, but if you asked me to bet money on it, I wouldn't just because what is Jared Leto, the, you know? I can't see past Jared Leto and I know that's my fault, but it's also Jared Leto's fault. Well, How's a Gucci? He's terrible. 
Uh, here's something I like about this movie is how much Brittany Murphy calls everybody an asshole. Mm-hmm. Asshole. Asshole. I also yeah. like how that lady in the day room calls Winona an asshole when she blows smoke uh-huh. at her. Mm-hmm. Fucking asshole. Yeah. Fucking asshole. <laughs> it's like, no, no. I'm not catatonic. I just don't give a shit about any of this. And I'm not about to deal with Lisa. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. How about Vanessa Redgrave? Awesome. Yes, the doctor. I, I think that's another couple of scenes where this movie gets really close to communicating what's actually on its mind. Because in those first scenes, you're like, oh, like I've been saying, finally, a woman who will understand what's happening here. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You are just the constant gardener of the patriarchy. This is a dangerous situation for everybody. Yes. Yes. Um, What else you got, huh? What else do I have here? Um, I kind of want to go on a rant about some of the stuff that um, Winona says about her hands. But before I get there, I will only um, announce one thing, which is that Angelina Jolie can play dehydration better than any actor in the history of Hollywood. That's funny. <laughs> Chap lips. <laughs> she's, she's so much lips, man. It just is like, yeah, that's... She needs a glass it. of water, please. <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say is that, and this movie kind kind of alludes to it at one point. Um, uh, Well, and we've been talking around it. Winona does not have a crippling mental illness. She has a realistic worldview and that causes depression. So the sort of inverse that you hear a lot is, oh, people with depression have a more accurate worldview a more realistic sense of their performance the behavior of people around them it's often much more accurate and my supposition is that it's not that people with depression have a superpower it's that people with this superpower gain depression because how can you look around this world with any sense of accuracy and not just be crushed by what you look at it's a hideous thing that we've designed for each other and we should all be really really sad about the world that we exist in yeah we should last thing i want to touch on before we go into trivia games for funsies so we don't cry ourselves to sleep every night uh is the thing that winona says about not having bones in her hand i think is really interesting and again Mm -hmm points to the fact that there's really interesting text here that the movie is incapable of exploring because of who's at the helm of it. So there was this thing through uh, sort of the, I don't know, broadly the Renaissance period, although it actually goes into the early modern period if we're being, no, 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 I have that wrong. I'm not a history person. Um, Around the like 16th and 17th century, a lot of very rich and like noble people came down with this disease where they were convinced that their bones were made out of glass. Hmm. The thinking is that they were ultimately very fragile people 
you know, I, I, sorry, I, I said people a few times. What I meant was women. This never happened to men. It was only women that reported this condition. Um, and women are people. I didn't mean to say that <laughs> women are people. <laughs> You're specifying. I'm specifying this type of person. Yes. Um, so the thinking there is that because they were in incredible positions of power, they have more money than God, but they are in an incredibly disenfranchised position. It, it's a real, I can only imagine the mind job that even today it, you have to try and navigate as a woman in our world where I'm not going to unpack all of that. I'm not qualified to, and this is not the venue for it, but I do think there's something really fascinating about that parallel between women in the sort of early modern area, the post-industrial uh, era in the 50s and 60s doing this housewife thing where now so many people get to be queens and kings of their domain. We have the suburbs in America, right? We can actually control things. And yet we have very little control over our lives. And mm -hmm. depending on who you are within that dynamic, you have even less control. And so this thing of like, my body is going to fail me is something that we see over and over again. And even today where it's like, no, no, you're not sick. You're fucking stressed out. Yeah. You're not depressed. You exist under late stage capitalism. And I think that's really interesting. And I wish the movie had done more to connect these threads. So that's kind of my rap on Girl Interrupted. I, I like, think I've, I've never read the book, but like, does the book even do that? I have to assume. I've never read the book either. Um, but just the nature of screen I will say, obviously, the movie is melodramatic as fuck. But if that's like... No, that's my problem, bro. It, I really wish it was. I hate melodrama. The problem with this movie is that it refuses to be a thing. And ultimately what it is, is a thriller about trying to get her out. That's the plotting that they have established for this I movie. don't feel thriller at all. That's where we end up, man. That's the third act. That's really? how this thing works, yes. No, I don't feel a thriller. I just feel a heightened drama, which is a melodrama. It needs to be more interested in the drama and more interested in the emotion and the person. This movie is much more interested in the plot machinations. If it was, so even if this was a two and a half hour movie instead of a two hour movie, you know, if we could in a, a, the perfect world get this thing to like 3.30, I think it would fucking sing because it's a novel and it's trying to express things that can only be communicated through time and subtlety. And it's, Mangold had, a Herculean task trying to communicate this much stuff through the language of cinema. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm being a little too hard on him because it, it would be very difficult to translate. I don't know how I would go about it. Like I said, I think I would make it much, much longer and, and play in the relationships here. That's what I want to see out of this thing. I, I mean, it does say there was a three hour cut of this movie. That's, but obviously, I'd love to see video it. won't let him release that. Oh, oh, 
author Susanna Kaysen was among the detractors of the film, accusing Mangold of adding melodramatic drive to the story by inventing plot points that were not in the book, such as Lisa and Susanna running away together. Buddy, did I say it wasn't you? melodramatic though? No, I said the problem was that he introduced too much plot. He's trying to get plotty in a thing that needs to be emotional. That is my whole fucking thing. I've been telling you, it's a thriller. This dude made a thriller no, instead of emotional. The author even says a melodramatic drive. It is not a thriller in any way. I, I don't, don't get thriller from it whatsoever. Okay. This woman gets trapped in a place for reasons that she cannot control. We spend our time trying to understand how she can get out of this place. The last act, the, like the, the finish of this movie is her getting out of the place. Mm -hmm. The last act is her maybe not getting out of the place because the monster is trying to keep her there. That's like two minutes of the movie. Bro, it's like 20 minutes of the movie. No, that's so small. That part, like that does not even... That feels like a melodrama. Like that's her heightened sense of what's happening around her. Yeah, it gets a little thrillery, but it's like, it's truly like five minutes of the movie at most. Let me ask you a question. What genre is Shutter Island? A thriller. What is the plot of Shutter Island? Um, a fucking, I mean, like uh, the... The plot that they say, it's a detective coming to investigate murders on this prison. So this dude gets stuck in a place that he cannot control, and it's trying to keep yeah, him but there's there. actual and, horror elements in Shutter Island. Oh, so maybe it's a horror movie. But you said it was a thriller, so let's stick there. I'll, I'll oh, call it a horror movie. Yeah, it, yeah. it's a Thriller. Yeah, you'll call it a horror movie now that I pointed it out that the yeah, thriller plotting the is exactly... Movie, the... the whole movie has that tone. Girl Interrupted yes. has that tone for four fucking minutes. And that's the problem, is it doesn't I, I, understand Oh, no, I get it. I, it I get it. it. That part's, I'm not, like, trying to defend that part, but to call the whole movie a thriller for those four minutes. Uh, it's, it's not just those four minutes. I, you know, you're ignoring the whole first half of this movie. And some of the first half is a thriller, though. The, the very, like, first act like the up until the sort of inciting incident it's all thriller stuff she's being manipulated she has powers out of her control Dude, i think we watch completely different movies i do not get thriller elements at all out of this movie i i think they're lazily and like poorly layered in and that's why you don't get them because it, it's only there to service the plot my i'm not calling this movie a thriller what i'm saying is that the problem is james mangold didn't understand how to make an emotional drama, so he slapped the thriller on top of it so that he could tell a story. That sucks. I mean, I literally, that one part is like truly, it's like, I don't feel like there's one thriller element about it. The movie is a melodrama, a melodrama biopic. That's I, what it is. It, well, it's not a biopic. This person never existed. It's a um, memoir. Janet Kaysen is a real person. Right. And so it's a memoir, right? Yeah, that means it's a real story. But we didn't get this the real a, story. 
There's a oh, difference, well, buddy. There's a difference oh, between oh, a biopic I, I, and a memoir. I see what you're saying. I see what you're Then you would, then Bohemian Rhapsody is not a biopic. It's not a memoir. It's a biopic. It, it's based on a book, though, isn't it? That Brian May wrote. It's about Freddie Mercury. Yeah, but they definitely manipulated the years and times of songs that came out in that movie. Yeah, but that's not the point that we're arguing here. That's not the point we're arguing for Girl Interrupted either. It's the point that I'm arguing. <laughs> yeah, I think this should have been a memoir. This should have been a melodrama. It would have been better that way. But I mean, everything that's in the book is in the movie. The only thing she says that is stupid is the fact that he added scenes of them running away together. I, I can't imagine that everything that is in the book is in the movie. Obviously, yes. So <laughs> there's stuff missing from the book. And in place, we've added things that don't belong to this story. So whether it's a thriller, whether it's just like poor plotting, I, you know, I don't what's a genre anyway <laughs> the genre is a very specific thing well okay so I if you want to go back happens. into it no i just don't think this movie has it has an element of thriller in a small piece of the third act but this movie is a melodrama taken from a memoir book that i'm sure probably reads as very melodramatic but it's also like, because uh, I, the, what it says here is like, it's told through non-linear, non-linear storytelling. I, so I just feel it's probably heightened in most of the ways too. So here's maybe I'm projecting, I have not read this book, but if the author's criticism is that he's injected melodrama and plot points. Well, only for the scenes of them running away. That's what the author's opinion says on here. Okay. Inventing yeah, I, plot points that were not in the book, such as Lisa and Susanna running away together. Yeah. So Which, to me, you know, that the only great part of that scene is Brittany Murphy scene. I don't need them running away together, but I need that Brittany Murphy scene because that Brittany Murphy scene is fucking great. But the Brittany Murphy scene can happen in the hospital. Why do we need thriller plotting for that to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, it doesn't feel thriller though. It just feels melodramatic. They are literal fugitives, sir. So <laughs> it doesn't feel thrillers. They're just, yeah, they're on the run, but it doesn't feel like there's a heightened sense of someone's coming to get them. It just why like are they on the run? And why do they need to steal? They have to steal money from her. But and that, they doesn't, have to that doesn't make it a thriller. People steal stuff in dramas all the time. Why does it need to make that a thriller? I, again, because of the plotting, and because of the like A to B that. nature of it, because we're going like, we have to escape this place. In order to escape this place, we need the money. In order to get the money, we have to go to the hideout. In order for us to get away from the hideout, we have to take the money and then get a ca That's all thriller stuff, dude. Yeah, but they do that in comedies. Like they do it in dramas too. It doesn't, it doesn't feel thriller at all. It just feels like these two people that want to escape where they're at it's not done in a heightened thriller way to me it's done in a super melodramatic way and that's a problem <laughs> yeah we're like we're circling around the same point i'm like yeah that sucks yeah, i just that's i'm so, so confused why you, there's like one like scary part to me and that's when fucking lisa's leaning over her and she's like and calls her um the wrong name uh uh 
I'm blanking on, but uh, like yeah, she calls her not the, her name. Yeah. Yeah. The girl that was in the bed before her. Um, yeah. Like that part is like the scary thing, but like it, I don't That's know. That's the melodrama. What is happening? That is, yeah. Yeah. The, this whole movie's melodrama. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't think there's any thriller aspects of it. I don't. All right. I guess we'll <laughs> not agree about that, and that's wild. I, yeah, I, it is wild to me that you call this a thriller. No, 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 no. Again, I'm not calling this movie a thriller. I'm diagnosing the failures of this movie, and they are that James Mangold cannot tell this story, so he has put in these plot points in here, and to describe these plot points as being anything other other than thriller dynamics i i just don't know what to say man <laughs> i'm like yeah it, it's a thrill i we're on different sides of this i guess i'm sorry yeah yeah i just i never felt scared for them in any way i am okay like through the whole movie no in those and like when they run away like that like that isn't thriller to me there's nothing about that that's thriller Brittany murphy killing herself is not thriller uh like the one thing like it when Susanna's back in the hospital and like yeah the monster kind of like coming down the hall uh, like encroaching on her brief that's like 30 seconds of a scene and then fucking uh um that one shot of her waking up and Lisa is over her very striking image like it haunting but not terrifying nor thriller-ish yeah certainly not terrifying I, my computer whoa my safari is glitching like this but you're are you, not are you're you getting not. hacked bro no my computer's glitching though it's weird speaking it's of angelina fire. jolie and seminal 1990s movies what you're getting acid burned and or crash overridden acid burn oh hackers yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I will stop talking about it. I don't think this movie is a thriller. Uh, I think James Mangold is the problem with this movie. That's fair. I don't think it's his best directed movie. I so, will say it. Should we jump into James Mangold? We can, yes. Do you want to play a game? Sure. Okay. This is like a really a uh, amorphous inchoate game that I don't expect you to uh, really do very <laughs> well at, but oh, it excited. proves the point that I'm trying to make about James Mangold. Ready? Yes. Okay, this game is called Not All That Glitters Is Mangold or Good As Mangold. Okay. So I think as you were talking about earlier, running down his list, he has a handful of great movies like full stop excellent height of cinema phenomenal films he has a couple of like kind of uh pretty shitty movies and then he has a handful of movies that i think get a pass because they're pastiche and hollywood and but they're just not very good at all outside of being very competently directed and like engaging to look at and watch. But when you start exploring the story stuff at all, it just, Dr. Crumbles. I think he's only got one bad movie. Like okay. one really bad movie. 
So I have. The other ones I actually genuinely. Oh, I've never seen his first one though. But I, the rest I genuinely all like. I haven't seen his first one either. And Copland is not on this list because I have not seen it in a very long time. Copland's awesome. Again, cheesy, melodramatic <laughs> cop story. I, I mean, but Stallone can do melodrama. Oh, it's so good. I fucking love it. I'm not hating on cop. And it's Ray Liotta, dude. Oh, yeah, I'm not hating on it at all. I yeah. And Hero. There's a great yeah, isn't- cast. Harvey Keitel in that movie too? Yes, he is. Yeah, so anyways, that one's been excluded. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I would be willing to believe that it's pretty good. So I have three categories here. Good as gold, there are two movies. Not all that glitters, there are two movies there and they are bad movies. And then there is fool's gold. There are three movies there and they're all pretty good, but not either either not nearly as good as people say or like not nearly as bad as people say can you hang in there with me okay 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 good Good as gold (laughs) let's start i've got two movies in this category uh one of them we have talked about recently it's a romantic comedy uh any guesses there kate and leopold it is so good (laughs) <laughs> it is <laughs> okay the other one is a western 310 to yuma that movie fucking rules dude that movie fucking rocks all when day every day vigo lets off the eight gauge i was shooketh mm-hmm. Woo, damn and then it just keeps going that movie is pretty good and a good ben foster performance i mean <laughs> ben foster as like a sweaty, dusty person is always going to be <laughs> always <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, down to the not all that glitters. Uh, there's two movies in this category, but only one of them has been released yet. Does that help? There's two movies in the category and only one has been released? Yep. Um, Ford versus Ferrari? nope uh logan <laughs> nope you're you're naming fool's gold movies so let's jump down there because i have ford versus ferrari and logan in fool's gold there's one other movie in this category which is again movies that are either not as good or not as bad as people think they are aggressively middle of the road identity nope it's i love identity oh identity is so terrible it's so good dude, dude. So good identity is not all that glitters along with the untitled fifth indiana jones movie which i assume will be terrible oh is he doing it yeah right now he's attached he is listed wow. as writer director of the untitled fifth indiana jones movie I don't care about that really. <laughs> no, I don't care either, but that's almost like no, no, it's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, because bad. one of the the things that like no need. No, no need, but just to point out the failures of Mangold because I can't get past it. Spielberg understands human relationships and that's why his blockbusters are amazing because they're about Sometimes he can understand them. Like yeah, not the last indie. <laughs> yeah not a a good not a good one um Uh, yeah i'm actually like a slight defender of that movie no um it's certainly not i'd rather watch that one more than temple of doom i fucking hate temple of doom that's that's kind of my defense is like the 
fourth one is basically as good as the second and third one. So I don't Absolutely. want to... uh, The third one, I like watching more than Temple of Doom and, and the... What's the fourth one called? Uh, Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. Um, I uh, love Last Crusade because it's the first one I ever saw. So it's like, that's my indie. But it's not a great... It, honestly, Last Crusade is about the same as Crystal Skull. It's just sort of like, yeah, okay. It's a little less dumb. Like, I enjoy the song. Hey, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I'm still upset about thrillers. Oh, my God. Oh, were you talking to your cat? I'm sorry. I was talking to my cat that just tried to destroy my mirror. Good Lord. Um, okay, so the other movie that I have in Fool's Gold is Night and Day. That's a fun one. <laughs> that movie's like pretty solid. It actually it works yeah. the whole way. They're charming yeah. together. It's that you know not supposed to be anything fancy. So the point that I'm trying to make is that Night and Day is as good as Ford v Ferrari. And mm. if you think about James Mangold in that kind of zone all of his movies make a lot more sense. And I'll almost come around to be like, well, yeah, he might actually make a decent indie movie because it needs to be dumb and pastiche and swishy and just kind of Hollywood flounce. If you think about it too long, it's going to fall apart. But if you're willing to just like let it wash over you, it's a pretty good experience. I think Vord v. Ferrari is a better movie than Night and Day. I think it's actually a pretty solid biopic. I really was into that movie. It's very enjoyable. I, I would... And Barenthal and fucking Christian Bale. I'm all in on that. And Damon, there's a lot... So, again, yeah. this, is what I'm, this is exactly what I'm saying about Mangold. It's like, yeah, he can put together the pieces. He can deliver you a movie. If you want a piece of art, you need to look somewhere else. Well, who's was trying to say he's making a piece of art well no, i don't think movies are, are commercial art you know that like they are literal art there, that's the job there's also just movie like he makes movies like you you are <laughs> he is a i think he's a great filmmaker i think he just makes different projects all over the place he doesn't have one distinct genre he's made a couple of biopics no the distinct uh, genre is hollywood bullshit that's this is what I'm saying about Mangold. It's like his genre is movie that will get nominated for an Oscar but will not win any Oscars. That's his like genre. He's only, he's only done that twice. I feel like that's up and down. Let's look at him, man. Let's oh, I guess he's done it three times. A uh, girl interrupted, walk the line, and Ford v Ferrari. The rest is like identity and fucking. I guess Copland. He might not have been trying for Oscars or anything because. It doesn't really feel like an Oscar Beatty movie. It just feels like a kind of like a summer um, uh, cheesy action drama in a way. Yeah, I wish he would make more. This this is kind of my point. I wish he would make. Yeah, if, if I'm stumbling, I'm sorry. When he makes just kind of cheesy, you don't shit. like Walk the Line um walk the line is fine but it's sort of it's got a jared leto problem where like once you've seen the dewey cox story there's like i can't even watch 
music biopics at this point where it's oh, just like I, I still God, love they're all so terrible this is what i was saying the other week about the doors the reason that the doors succeeds is because it's terrible i disagree on that <laughs> yeah disagree wholeheartedly fair enough it I is not terrible by any means that is a spiritual journey of a biopic unlike any other musical biopic that are directly trying to tell you beat by beat of a story this is like taking his life and uh, telling the shows but also giving you his spiritual vibe of his life it's not about shows it's this is a similar complaint man that that's fucking hollow and i know oliver stone thinks that's what he's doing i know that's what he's trying to do but he in no way accomplishes that he i think he does it though that's how i feel when watching it i'm glad it worked for you man yeah, I've I feel like it's cheap. I was in fifth grade, though. Like, I've loved The Door since I was in fifth grade. Fucking great movie. It's a, it is. It's a great movie. It, and it succeeds specifically because of his failures. It's because he doesn't understand the depth that he's wading into and his ability to just be like, yeah, this thing happens, and then this thing happens. Makes I mean, that thing actually, for how much you think Jim Morrison might have depth, he's very much a one-note No, character. no, I'm talking about Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone does not understand the depth of spirituality that he thinks he's entering into because, as you pointed out, Jim Morrison is not a spiritual person. He's an asshole. He's a narcissist. He is a spiritual person, but he is a terrible person. And I think the movie highlights that hardcore. Yes. And I'm glad he didn't shy away from that. Lots of movies like Bohemian Rhapsody shy away from the dark shit and just show you stupid shit. I think that Oliver Stone thinks he's glorifying this stuff. I oh, think no. that he's trying he to. Do- I maybe I'm just a, like a uh, I don't know Oliver Stone. It, so Mangold is in this category. Oliver Stone, and you know who else I would put here is actually Ridley Scott. Are these are incredibly talented filmmakers who have really uh, mangled, maybe not so much, but Oliver Stone and Ridley Scott. Have way better filmmakers than Mangold, for sure. Way better filmmakers, way more interesting people. They have ideas, right? Yeah, that they absolutely, are fascinated absolutely. by and want to communicate. And that makes for interesting cinema. The problem with both of those filmmakers, and here's where I'll draw Mangold back in, is that they are constantly out of their depth. They think they understand things that they do not at all. And so when you try and dig into what they're saying, it's just like nothing. Oh, this is sounding uh, theory. I won't say that about I won't say that about Oliver Stone. Because everything I have watched him talk about on all of his movies, he is so articulate about what he is doing and will fight it to the death on why he is doing it yeah really, and his, it's not the same thing with right, like and heaven fucking that dude's like like the uh that character only has like three specific things in his life that are big uh, i'm blanking on the character's name but he's like well i guess we need to tell those three big moments and then we can create whatever else we want but we have to stick to the historic crusades like he's not trying to dive out of anything that would be too far from the truth but Ridley Scott I I think is more of like a 
art like he's so into production like the art of sets and everything like that where it loses focus on the story a lot of the time like house of gucci looks fucking cool it's kind of a bland tone but it looks cool just what is happening right now this is garbage and you're genuinely telling me a boring story do not care so to dial back to oliver stone he's frequently in more control of the story that he's telling but Mm -hmm. similarly i don't think he's telling the story he wants to i think the way that he ends up telling these stories betrays his carelessness or callousness you know Hmm. interesting yeah i think with oliver stone specifically he was a man that was very formed by a a hideous war and his opinions are valid but he is outpaced in our world and he needs to shut the fuck up because he's wrong about most of the things that he says and the way that he says them comes off with such a tone of like and you don't know because this is the real truth and it's like no no bro you need to read three more books this is intro anthropology bullshit this is not actually what the world is i don't know what you're specifically referencing i'm referencing like so his uh his belief and engagement with conspiracy theory which is something that i like i he loves conspiracy and he's not alone there i was raised by hippies i don't trust the government either man but he's like just this side of red pill and i'm not into that at fucking all and i don't think he understands that about himself i think he believes that he is the woke warrior and there's a real disconnect between the things. So the conversation. I definitely don't think he believes he is the warrior. I think he is part of, wants to help tell what he can, but he's not trying to fucking uh, be that social justice warrior. No, not in the way that it is formed in our sort of modern cultural conception. But in the 90s, he was that. You know, especially when you you take his work coming through like the late 80s into the early 90s, if you go from platoon to natural born killers, he's decidedly doing countercultural stuff, right? Absolutely. So maybe I'll I'll draw back a little bit and just leave it there. I Yeah, these are guys that I would love to have a conversation with and want to know, like I dinner with Ridley Scott and Oliver Stone would be amazing. And most of their movies are not nearly as interesting as that dinner would be. Does that, that's where I'm coming from. Hmm. I would pick their brains about their movies. <laughs> I would pick their brains about anything but their movies. <laughs> no, I want to talk about Ridley Scott's art, dire- uh, art department stuff that he did before he was even a director. I want to learn all that. What if we lived in the timeline where Ridley Scott was just the most famous production designer in Hollywood? I'd be all for it. That'd be okay. Okay. Should we play a game or two? Let's do it. Wrap this bad boy up. Um, you know what I learned today? Hmm. Is that Clea Duvall is not related to Robert Duvall. I knew that. <laughs> you know who else is not related to either of those people? James Duvall. I could see that. <laughs> He's... 
but don't Clea Duvall and James Duvall look like they came from the same family? You know, like if they were half, <laughs> you know, okay. Duvall and James Duvall do not look alike. With the cheeks and the nose? If you told me that those guys were cousins, like from different branches of the same family, I would, I'd be, yeah, no, that tracks. Hold on, let me look up James Duvall. Yeah, take a look just at that man's face. Let me just get another look at him real quick. <laughs> he's, he's angular around the chin, but his cheeks are quite cherubic, man. Maybe like a cousin, but like- This, this is what I'm saying. What, what is his nationality? What is he? He's from Detroit, is my understanding. Okay, okay. It just looks like he could be like Native American. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, he's definitely carrying some melanin in his veins. Donnie Darko, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, okay, <laughs> so the game is now I've seen Duval, and yes. I'm gonna name some movies, and you're gonna tell me which Duval was in that movie, starting okay. with Donnie Darko. James Duval. Okay, but what about Zodiac? Clea Duvall. That was Clea. What about Deep yeah, Impact? Yeah, she's in it in a very small portion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Deep Impact. Deep Impact is Robert Duvall. All right. Speaking of terrible John Cusack movies, what about John Q? John Cusack movie? <laughs> He's not in that movie. No, but it's called John Q. Come on. Speaking of terrible John Cusack movies, John Q. <laughs> also, that's a melodrama one. I get in. <laughs> <You won. laughs> that is like, that is like melodrama. That could be a lifetime movie. Yeah. I dig on it. <laughs> so which Duval? Uh Robert. Yes, sir. Um how about Independence Day? Uh uh James. Nice. Ghost of Mars. Uh, that has to be James. Clea, baby. She's in John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Yeah, she's like the third or fourth lead. She's got a pretty big role in that one. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like Ice Cube and then her, maybe even. Natasha Hinstridge, Jason Statham, <laughs> Ice Cube, Pam Greer, Clea. Uh, all right, fifth. Fifth. Yeah, but in a, well, I mean. Oh, I got to rewatch this. A, uh, ooh. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It How about good. SLC Punk? SLC Punk is James. Yes, it is. How about Gone in 60 Seconds? Robert and and James. Yeah, it is, buddy. That's right. <laughs> um, she's all that. James. Clea. Clea. I don't remember her, and she's all that. She's. Uh, I feel like maybe her scenes got cut or something. She's in a lot of the movie, like okay. in the game. Uh huh. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, how about? The Doom Generation. I don't even know this movie. Buddy, I got some stuff to lay on you because it's part of a trilogy. This is, I'm going to just break the game. These are all uh, James Duvall movies directed by Greg Araki. 
Um, and he's got another uh, TV show that just came out that's kind of in the same vein. They're part of his Teenage Apocalypse trilogy. And these movies are awesome, but insane. The casts are nuts. Actually, is Clea Duvall in Nowhere? Is that possible? Um, oh, I... Hey, guy. <laughs> no way. The cat conundrum continues. Good Lord. Because as soon as I open that door and let them out there, they're going to be fucking scratching to get back in. You know what I, I read somewhere is that cats have a hard time with object permanence. So uh -huh. closed doors really freak them out because they're yeah. just like, oh, it disappeared yep. on forever. Fucking hate it. <laughs> uh, I do remember this cover of Doom Generation with Rose McGowan on it. Yeah. And this guy also wrote uh, Mysterious Skin. Yeah. And uh, he directed it too, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. he's oh, a smiley face. Yes. I love smiley face. Dude, watch these movies. It's called the Teen Apocalypse Trilogy. It's the Doom Generation, Nowhere, and what was the third one? Sorry, totally I just fucked up. totally fucked up. Um, and they're about kids in LA in the 90s. And like the one that stands out most strongly in my mind is Nowhere, where it's essentially a melodrama. It's about these kids trying to get along. Nowhere, then, you said? Yeah. Uh, and they... Part of the mechanics is that they uh, drop acid and play a game of kick the can, which I highly recommend for anybody who's not engaged in this behavior. But then aliens attack or don't attack, but show up and you have to spend a lot of the movie being like, wait, is this hallucination or are there aliens? And then other stuff happens that it's, they're very interesting movies, man um yeah i'll definitely watch these okay only two more movies in now i've seen duval how about did i say the astronaut's wife uh-uh the astronaut's wife duval robert clea clea and I, uh i hate that movie. i barely remember that movie. It's the worst my goal now is to mention this movie in every episode of ours which one of these folks was in open range it's too easy though Bravo. yeah yeah okay last game are <laughs> you ready if you're able to bring that up in every podcast i'm i'm stretching for it i'm also i got another one that's going to come up right about now um that i'm also trying to bring up in every podcast it's going to be a, a part of our lore are you ready i'm ready this last game is called writer wait this last game is called writer i hardly know her <laughs> i'm sorry so the object of this game is that i'm going to as vaguely as possibly yes as vaguely as possibly to describe a movie to you that features winona Ryder, and you're going to tell me the name of that movie okay so in the tradition of trying to talk about this movie every week for no good fucking reason uh winona ryder is in that al pacino ai movie that is uh simone <laughs> sim one sim one i that's the bit is that i can't you know we should just never call it the same title twice in a row simone <laughs> uh it's i'm pretty sure it's simone simone <laughs> simone okay uh simone i'm so sorry 
<laughs> okay, in this movie, she would rather drown in a frozen lake than touch his gross foot. Mr. D. Nice. I laughed for like 30 solid minutes at her like response, her reaction to like shaking away the... <laughs> you're gonna die i don't care i don't want that not, no not doing that okay what about the one where christian slater blows up a school feathers baby how about the one where she kisses keanu and gary oldman wears clothing made out of licorice wait no <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what movie is that? It's Dracula. Out of licorice. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, those suits are nuts. And I actually think I was watching The Cell recently, and I'm pretty sure they raided the prop closet and got those suits back out again. I could see that. Okay. Uh, how about the time where she went up against Ripley? Uh, alien? Resurrection. Nice is that what it's called? That. Yeah, that is what it's called. <laughs> okay. Uh, this movie is about Burbank. Is hey, that, is Burbank? The, the city? Yeah, the city. Just right there. Okay. Over the hill. Yeah. Uh, but Conchata Farrell is still there. Rest in peace, Conchata. Yeah. She was our... Uh, I don't know if you had Arnie, the sound guy. That was his wife. Conchata was his wife. Oh, I did have Arnie. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, no idea. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry, Arnie. Oh. Yeah. Shit, I, I was like uh, just sad because I like her presence so much, and now I feel doubly sad. Oh, too bad. <laughs> yeah, very sad. Mm. Okay, um, also Alan Arkin and Diane Weist are in this movie. Uh, Alan Arkin and Diane Weist are in this movie. Edward Scissorhands? That's the one. Okay. And the last one here, you can only answer once. Do not say the answer to this question three times, Dylan. I am not prepared to deal with that. Oh, no. No, <laughs> really? What is it? What? Okay, what if I said, uh, my girl dances to mambo? Oh, or... I get it. I get it. I get it now. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now I see what you're doing. I, I, yeah, that went right over my head right there, but I got it now. So that's what I'm bringing to the, the title. title. No, we don't, don't risk it. Don't say it. We don't need that. Okay. I have nothing else. This has been an interesting conversation about the nature of genre as it relates to pastiche directors. That's a fun one, man. That was a fun one, yeah. 